Morning. So here's the deal. If you really want to find the, a, a single moment that epitomizes the joy of Christmas, a single moment, look no further than the first moment a child gets to see Santa Claus face to face. We put the child on his lap for the picture, and in that moment, <laughs> joy. You see the wonder in their eyes. You, you, you watch, you see the smiles on their faces. You just, it, it just epitomizes you. There, there are squeals of delight when, when, they, when they, they see you, the one they've been waiting for. There's a thrill of the exuberance of the moment. There is this unbridled sense of joy, of wanting the moment to linger forever and ever. If you want to see joy, just look in the face of a child when they meet Santa Claus, it is, it is a moment that you want to capture forever. This speaks joy. Now, the irony, I guess you could say, of Christmas time for many is that, the, that what we call the most, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Seriously, for a whole lot of us, it is anything but that, Right? Um, and there are statistics that, that show it. 25% of people who, have, who have suffer from some, for, uh, some form of mental illness say that the holidays intensify their mental illness. 69% of people say they feel a, a extreme amounts of financial stress during Christmas season. 40% of people say they feel more exhausted and inadequate. Up to 75% of people surveyed say that Christmas evokes times of sadness for them as the predominant thing they feel. And if you've had loss, it's no small thing if this is your first Christmas season without somebody who you used to share it with. That kind of thing happens pretty regularly. Again, another 69% people say they have stress, that they have a lack of time. And 40% of Americans would say that if they could do it, they would skip Christmas season altogether. Maybe you're one of them. There's an old stress test, but it's still used. It's been around forever. It's, the, it's called the, the Holmes-Rea stress test, and it, it signs uh, points for every stressful thing that a person could experience in a 12-month period, and if you reach certain thresholds of those points, they say you're more susceptible to disease or illness actually happening in your life. And so it includes these traumatic events and some, some things like the death of a spouse or if you lose a job or a major relocation. And the one thing, one that shows up almost strangely on that test list, 43 things, it just simply says Christmas. If you just experience Christmas, you get 11 stress points in that test. And so that the, the idea of that the advent, the, the, the coming of God, God with us, brings joy to a whole lot of us. It, it just kind of sounds like sentimental greeting card poetry. It's not very real. So I'm paying attention. If I believe God, and I believe in his word, and I do, and if, if it's become such a thing that we say we've, we've made it one of our four pillars of Christmas Advent season to say when God coming to be with us evokes things, it, one of the things it, it gives us is joy. I, I want to listen to that. I, I'm interested. 
Because for a whole lot of us, it's just that's not true. Is it, if it's really true, if somehow I can experience something called joy as a result of recognizing what's happened at Christmas time, then I want to I wanna pay attention. So I want to invite you back to the passage that the Thompsons read for us. It's in Luke chapter 2. All right, so if you have Bible or access to one, I invite you to take a look at that. And it's a really familiar passage. I mean, every year we hear Linus say it. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very common but it does reference joy. And so just, just again, if, if you need to hear, here's just verses 8 to 10. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. And here's why. He says, now, here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear some good news, and it's good news of great joy. And it means this exceeding amount of potential of joy is available and it's made available to all the people. Okay, so there's some connection that they're making between the birth of Jesus, the coming of God in the flesh, and this thing that is available to all people, it's joy. So let's, so let's start, first of all, by just, maybe we need to clarify some terms. And again, this is probably not gonna be new to you to hear this, but let's just clarify them again. First of all, when we say, when we say we wish you a Merry Christmas, when we greet each other with Merry Christmas, when we say Happy Holidays, when we say Feliz Navidad, what we're generally talking about in our culture when we say that is, I'm wishing for you to have some kind of heightened level of euphoria. I hope you have an experience. I hope, I hope there's an exhilaration time for you. I hope there's a swell of, of something warm, a positive emotion. I, I'm, I'm hoping you have a Norman Rockwell moment. You know, if that would happen, then you would have a merry Christmas. It'd be a good one. And that, so that's what we use as that term. I, my, my wife is part of the, uh, officially part of the, the Kohl's department store cult <laughs> where, you know, they give you these 10 and 20 and 30% coupons and you, and you go, I got it. And then they give you these, they have their own currency and they take these bucks with you and you, and I have to spend, I have to use, she's, she's all in. They've got her all in. And so we go there, you know, more often than I would care to go, and she goes off because she's required by law to go. And, but if, you, if you've noticed, Kohl's Department Stores has their, their, their kind of their slogan for this time of year right now, and you might see an ad, is this. It says, Kohl's, give joy, get joy. Now, what they mean when they say that is, you, you give something that evokes some really good feelings about something, and then when you do it, you're going to get some really good feelings. Who's going to argue with that? Now, as you probably know, when you use that term, we have another word that probably is more apt for that in the English language, and that could be happy, happiness. It, we're, we're saying give happy feelings and get happy feelings. That's what we're thinking. So happiness we're going to juxtapose this from joy now for a second, right? Happiness is not a bad thing. I like being happy. But happiness is this, this state that is circumstance-based. It, it's, it's based on what's happening around you. You get a gift, you give a gift. You've, okay, and, and it is emotion-centered. It's something you feel. And it is mostly involu- involuntary. It just kind of comes. You just, ooh, ooh, happy feelings. Hey, I'm glad for that. It is... So we say it's the hap- happiest time of the year. That's, it's the time where you get a ha- better chance of having happen, that happen. But it's like the breeze. You don't tell it when to come, but when it comes, it sure feels nice. 
Happiness is this thing that we could say is very much, it's an elusive thing, it's fleeting, and it is fickle. You don't control it, you like when it happens, but we, I wish it happens to you. I hope it happens to you this time of year. Now the Bible, when it describes human existence, the Bible talks about happiness, but it never it never focuses on happiness. It never tells you. You know what, you know what by the way, if you, do your kids a favor. Change your goal if your goal for them is, when you say, I just want my kids to be happy. There is a lot of pressure on that. It means they got to arrange the circumstances and they got to create this feeling and, it, and it's an elusive thing. Your kids are not going to be able to fulfill that desire. That's all I want for you. Just be happy. Uh, right now, like, okay, how do I do it? It's fleeting. It's, you can't make it happen, but that's kind of what we like. But the Bible doesn't focus on it, doesn't command it, doesn't direct us toward chasing after it. The Bible does not tell us to pursue happiness. The government might tell us we have the right to do that, but God never told us to do that. Now, in contrast to that, the, the Bible uses a word, charis it is in, in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, and it's the word that usually gets translated joy. And the focus of the Bible is that there is a, there's something, it's not happiness, it's joy. Now I'm gonna give you a little just working definition of joy and it's not gonna be very sexy, I'll tell you that right now. It's not gonna thrill you. It's not gonna make you very happy. But it is kind of a result of, if you look at what the Bible talks about and describes it, and this is what is the great joy that's going to come, here is a working definition, not the definition, just a working definition. Joy is the internal celebration of something, of the advance of God's good agenda. We'll tease that out in just a minute, a little bit more. But I want to just plug that into somewhere, plant a seed in your, in your mind about that. There's an internal celebration that can happen, but it happens over something very particular happening. And that is that there's a good God who's got a good agenda, and when something happens that advances that agenda, I, sell, I choose to celebrate it, and the Bible says that's joy. Now, we'll come back and, and see how that works out in just a little bit, but here's the distinction about joy. Joy is perspective-based, not circumstance-based. It, it, has, it has to do with a view of something, how we look at something. It is volition-centered. It is an act of the will, not emotion-centered. Now, you can have emotion along with your joy, but it's not dependent on it. And joy is grounded in an established, understood knowledge of an assured outcome. There is something that's happening. So here, here's what joy does. Joy looks at circumstances, but it sees beyond and behind the, the immediate circumstances to an assured end that it sees being in motion behind that. Now, if you were around this summer around here when I got a chance to speak here, I, um, I give you a little, a, what I would call a, a triplet of truth, a truth triplet of things that in my life I have found that if I focus on these, tr these tr three truths, it can change my perspective on something. And those three truths were this. God is good, God is in control, and God will prevail. In my life, I have found that if I can just, that sounds very simple, but if I can actually not just say those words, but actually focus on them and recognize them and embrace them, something happens in my spirit. If I see that in the middle of these circumstances, these truth, three truths are still there. God is good. The circumstances may look, but God is good. God is in control 
of this situation. And God will prevail in the end. Now, I want to just refer back to that because that becomes how our vision, when we look for joy, works. Because we look beyond the circumstances, behind the circumstances, to what is absolutely true behind them. And here's the thing. So when you see indicators around you that God's good agenda is advancing, you celebrate it. So this is, here's how the psalm describes some. Therefore, Psalm 16, 9 to 11, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Here's why. Here's why. Here's the source of the joy. Well, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. This was later used to describe Jesus when he died. But it's also set, it's, it's a song about our lives. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The circumstances are there, but I look beyond them to know something. You're not going to abandon me to the grave. You're going to prevail. You're going to be good. You're in control. And that bubbles up something within me. I can celebrate that fact. I can have joy. Here's Psalm 30. God's anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You, God, turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. See, here's the thing. When you know the outcome of something, for sure, you can have a perspective on the moment that it's happening just knowing, I know where this is going. Okay, now, forgive the personal illustration, but this is just as good as it gets for me. In 1986, the New York Mets won the World Series. It's the last time I had a chance to cheer for anything because I'm a Mets fan. It's just been a painful life. In game six of that World Series, they were down to the Boston Red Sox, three games to two. Tenth inning, the Boston Red Sox goes to extra innings. Score In the top of the tenth inning, score two runs, and they're up on the Mets. The Mets come to bat, and they get two quick outs. There's two outs. They're down three. This is it. One out. They're down by two runs. In the, in the 10th inning, they lose this, they lose the World Series. This is the Bill Buckner game for the baseball fans. Okay. They get three hits in a row, one run scores, there's a, there, and, and then a wild pitch, they score what? They tie the score on a wild pitch, and then the ground ball goes through Bill Buckner's legs, and they win the game. They come back the next game, and they win the World Series, and I'm, that, was, that was it. I was like, okay, now, here's how pathetic I am. I regularly go back and watch the end of Game 6 of the World Series from 1986. It's pitiful. Okay? Now, what, here's what happens. I will watch that. What's funny is when I get to the 10th inning and I watch the Red Sox score, I go, ooh. Oh, we're behind. I wonder what's going to happen. You know what? I have this almost this, this amplified sense of celebration. I'm celebrating while I'm watching something happen. You know why? I know how it's going to end. It does it every time I turn it on, the Mets win it. It's a really cool thing. It's like the only thing I got. Just throw me a bone. It's the only thing I got. When you know the end, you can even look at the circumstances, even when they go up and down, even because you know what's coming and you can celebrate, and it almost heightens your celebration to go, wow, this doesn't look good. This is going to be cool to see how this turns out. The Bible invokes that kind of thought when it talks about how we can have joy, how God can provide us with joy. Here's, here's Hebrews 12 too. This is, this is how Jesus did it. 
I, I, I did extensive study on this because I didn't believe this passage meant what I think, thought it meant when I first read it. How Jesus could actually hate what he was going through, and that was okay when he went to the cross. And it was okay for him to hate what he was going through. But look what it says about it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, and there's the phrase, for the joy that was set before him. There was something he was looking beyond and behind his circumstances and said, I see something and I know something is going to be true. With that being there, he endured the cross and scorned or hated its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus could have joy in the middle of the pain because he saw what was happening. There's an old movie that if you've never seen it, you should go back and see it. It's called Searching for Bobby Fisher. It's about a prodigy chess um, it's, a, it's based on a true story, and the guy's name is Joshua Waitskin, and he went to the U.S. primary championship. He was a prodigy. He was young. I think he was about 10 years old at the time, maybe younger. He gets the finals of the, the, the U.S. primary chess championships in 1986, and his coaches are watching on video as he's in the last, last match against the guy who was the champion. And all of a sudden, he t- pauses, and there's a move that's made by his opponent, and you hear his coach in the movie who says this, there it is. And his, the, guy, his, the kid's dad says, there's what is? He says, it's there. He's talking about victory. He says, it's 12 moves away, but it's there. And, you depict, and this is based on a true story where the kid watches it happen, doesn't see it at first, but when he recognizes that it's 12 moves away, but it's there, he offers a draw to his opponent. He's behind, it seems, in the match. His opponent doesn't take it. And he says, why would you offer me a draw? He says, you've lost. You don't know it yet, but you've lost. I'm offering you a draw. He refuses the draw. Twelve moves later, it's over. He sees that the end is secure. He knows what's going to happen, and he has a sense of joy in that moment because the victory is sure. When Scripture says, rejoice, well, here, here's, a, here's Psalm 32, 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you upright in heart. That phrase is not just a catchy phrase to sing. Rejoice in the Lord. It's rejoice because something is centered in a truth about Yahweh. He is, he is good. He is in control. He's going to prevail. And now you're seeing things tr- set into motion. And you can rejoice in him, in that. You're not rejoicing in your circumstances. You're not trying to pretend you're happy when things aren't going well. You just know what's behind it. Rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 33 says, In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. So we're, we're told that we can re- rejoice in the Lord. That's exactly what Philippians 3.1 says. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. It is an internal celebration that his agenda, which is good, is being played out. Henry Nouwen wrote, and he said, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. There's a little exercise involved here that says in the middle of my circumstances, I can look at something that's moving and I go, ooh, the movement means something. The home run to put my team behind means something. It's part of an ongoing process, but we're go- it's going somewhere. And I choose to focus on the good agenda that's coming. And as a result, I can celebrate it. Now, 
Watch how this kind of joy is delivered by God at Advent, at the coming of Jesus. You go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It says the, the phrase right before that says, I bring you good news of great joy. So there's news being delivered. That means there's, there's something that's being told about an agenda that's coming. There's movement that's happening. Now, a, a note on the shepherds, and this is, you probably could guess this, but this is especially true back then. A, shepherd, a shepherd's life was decidedly unexciting. I mean, among most, almost every other vocation somebody could have, a shepherd just pretty much did nothing. Exciting. Now, it was important, but they were mostly solitary, and what they spent their days doing was moving the sheep and feeding the sheep and cleaning the sheep and shearing the sheep and guarding the sheep. If they chased away a wolf one time in a year, that was a big day. That was an exciting day. And God shows up with his parade of grandeur. I mean, this is on the hillside, and there's there's lights and sounds and choirs singing, although it never says they were singing, by the way. It just says they were proclaiming this. And says, we have, look, there is something happening. There is something happening. It has an effect on you. There is, and this is good stuff. There is something happening. Now, I, you, know, you, you always hear that when it comes to Christmas, there is more, it's more exciting to be a parent and watch your kids open the presents than it is to be the kid and get them. That sounds really nice, but I'm telling you, that ain't true at all. I, I, I mean, I like how my kids get presents, but I, I, wanna, I, like getting, I like getting the stuff. I mean, I still can tell you vividly how it worked. When I was a kid, and I, and I, and I looked, and there was one more thing on, the, they go, oh, look, there's something on the tree after the presents were open, and it's a little card, and it goes, it said, go look, and I could tell you the six places it told me to look in the house. One was in the bathroom, one was in the garage, one was in my bedroom. One, so anyway, there, one, and then it says, go to the basement. I go to the basement where we lived, and there it was. Purple five-speed bicycle. Like thing, and it had the swoop handlebars so you could pop wheelies. It had the banana seat. It was just the greatest thing. It had a five-speed handle. You could ch- and it was right there on the crossbar. So you could shift on the crossbar. And that way, when you popped the wheelies and you fell off the, onto the crossbar, it did as much damage to your manhood as it could possibly inflict. But man, it was just the most awesome thing. I want to tell you that I've enjoyed my kids opening presents, but nothing compared to that. I'm just selfish. That's how it is. So, and, and when God says he's got stu- good stuff he's doing, he's telling you, look, this is going to be good for all the people. This is good for you. There's, there's an agenda, and it's good for you. It's being delivered, this news. It was for all those people. So then in verse 10, it says there's, you know, great joy. And here's why it's there. Verse 11 says, because today is born to you. We talked about this last week. It wasn't a political figure. It wasn't a military figure. Well, who, here's, what was, has, here's what's happening. God is moving his agenda, and he's providing somebody who's going to save you. It's a savior. And just as inside, I'll say it again. I don't care who you are today. I don't care what your mess is that you brought in today, and it could be significant. There is one thing I need more than anything else is what you need. I need to be saved by God. I need him to make me right with him because that's an eternity thing. 
That's what we need. That's the best thing he could give. God has an agenda. And they said, here's the news. God has an agenda. And his agenda is in motion. Today, he's been presented to you. Today, he has come. It's going to be his cause of great joy because this Savior has come. Now, that's why this is known as the shepherd's candle. Because it caused joy for them. Now, I want you to know something else about this story. And just, we're just tapping it, it, just not going real deep in it. But just look at this in verse 15. It says, when the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It's no small thing, by, by the way, for them to, whether they're taking their flocks with them or not, to get to Bethlehem. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Talks about Mary treasures him up in her heart. Now, now I want you to see what happened. There's a lot we could say about all that, but I just want to jump forward to verse uh, 20. And look what it says happened to these guys. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Do you notice the little phrase? Now, it may not sound like a big deal in English, but it actually has some significance to it. It says, the, the shepherds returned, Now, they've gone off and had this announcement, but you know what they did afterwards? They went back. They went back to their circumstances. They still had to clean the sheep and feed the sheep and shear the sheep and guard the sheep. They went back to pretty much, their, their immediate circumstances weren't necessarily different, but they went back praising God. They went back having had a cause for joy to deliver to them. The cause for the joy. See, they had the same jobs. If you're looking for joy, I'm just jumping ahead here. If you're looking for joy in your life, this does not mean it's going to come through another job or a new set of experiences that become. God is going to give you reason for joy right smack. He's going to probably take you right back into the circumstances you are. You move in them. But he wants you to see behind them, beyond them, to see that he's got a good agenda at work. And that agenda is absolutely guaranteed. So when you see anything that moves you closer toward it, it's reason to choose to say your agenda is advancing. It's good. I'm going to celebrate it. So here's, um, here's how that applies to our lives. I mean, first of all, you can have uh, you, you can have joy. I can have joy. And by the way, I, I, I will tell you this. I, I am not a guy who walks around exuberant a lot. I, I tend to be a little bit of an Eeyore at Christmas time. I tend to be a little bit of an Eeyore in life. I, I tend to focus on, I'm a, I say I'm a realist. My wife says I'm a pessimist. I go, no, no, no. I just know how life works. I know how this turns out. It's, it, it's disappointing. It's always disappointing. It's always disappointing. That's... But God says, look, you can have a cause for joy even right smack in the middle of things that don't look like they're working out very well. I mean, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, you're blessed when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil things about you, uh, against you because of me. You you can, and I go, no, you can't. (laughs) 
I mean, come on. No, you can't. You can't. I'm not blessed when that happens. He goes, no, you can't. Then he uses the word. Rejoice. Because, and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You see what he's saying? There's an, it's going. That's, that's another step toward it going somewhere. And you know the payoff. You just went down to run in the 10th inning. But there's a payoff. And you know it. Because it's absolutely ironclad sure. You're going to have rewards in heaven for that. And you can celebrate that in that moment. First Peter, Peter says it this way, you're shielded by God's power and the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. See, so there's something coming. There's an agenda. There's an end to this. There's an assurance about it. And you're shielded in that. It doesn't matter what you're going through today. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. There's, you know how the game ends. And it says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We can rejoice in, in any day. I'm, this is not just rhetoric. You and I have a way that we can, right now, we can choose to enter in and rejoice. This is why Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's emphasized. You can do this in any day because this is true today. God's good agenda is advancing today. You can rejoice every day. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, be joyful always. That doesn't mean walk around with a smile on your face pretending you're happy. It doesn't mean when you get the gift you really don't want, you go, oh, it's so nice. Thank you. You That's not what rejoicing is. Rejoicing is you understand that behind this, beyond this, there is something that's absolutely ironclad true in every day. Because, and listen, this is true for you today. If you've entered into a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you've embraced his payment for you on the cross, you've accepted his righteousness and standing, not your own. You've turned from your sin from that. You've, just, you've declared yourself bankrupt, but he, you say, I'm accepting what you give me as a gift. When that happens, there, there are things that are true today, no matter what is happening in your life. And, and I say this gently, it may be really, really hard. But in this day, these things never stop being true. In your life, right now, at this moment, you are considered absolutely beloved by God. You are, you are considered royalty to him. You are guaranteed a place with him. You, you are connected with a God who is absolutely sovereign and absolutely good in where he's going with this stuff. You you are secure in him. You are rescued by him. You are guaranteed. Psalm 13, 5 says, I trust in your unfailing love and therefore my heart rejoices in your salvation. It It never stops being true of you. It never stops being true that he is strengthening you and protecting you and shielding you. Psalm 28, 7 says, Yahweh is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I'm helped. And there it says, my heart leaps for joy and I give thanks to him in song. It has never stopped being true. Today, it is absolutely true that he is intentionally, God right now is intentionally, he's, he's perfecting you, he's molding you, he's building you into something. He's got purpose behind every single moment, every single failure, every single insecurity, every single experience you've got. He is behind that. Philippians 4, Paul says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with you be, with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's reason for joy in that. You are indivisibly connected with God. You're held by him. You belong to him. You're his favorite. It's true. Of all the created universe, he has chosen to make you the capstone, and he said, this is mine. We are going somewhere. I have got you forever. And in Jude 24, so it's to him who is able to keep you from falling, present you before his glorious presence without fault, and see what it says? And with great joy. He's clothing you right now. He's clothing you in his righteousness. He looks at you without a single moment or thought of you being a failure. He sees the purity of his son when he looks at you. He's given that as a gift. He's given you acceptance and he's presenting you without fault. And that's why Psalms can say it this way and it's more than just a card. On this day, December 16th, 2018, this day, on this day, this is a day that Yahweh, the, the Lord, has made. And therefore, I have reason. I can rejoice in it. I can be glad in it. And then it became this day, today. Verse 11. Here's your reason for great joy. Today, in the town of David, something's happened. A Savior has been born. At the birth of Jesus, God said, oh, my agenda just took a major step forward, you guys. We've been talking about it for hundreds of years. And now the angels come and go, ah, but today in Bethlehem, the agenda moved forward. The one who's going to absorb all your sin, the one who came to give you rescue, the one who's going to hold you forever, he's entered the world. And you can look beyond your circumstances, behind the circumstances. You can see that the agenda of God is advancing, and today there is cause for great joy. Could you let that happen for you today? Not just because it's Christmas time, but especially because it's Christmas time. Could you understand that you've got stuff going on, you've got pain you're enduring? It's real, it's hard, it's difficult. No one's diminishing that. You got things you're uncertain of. You have disappointments that are going on. You got heartache. There are people who have betrayed you. There are, people who, there are things that have been ruptured that don't feel like they're ever gonna be healed. All of that is true. But none of that changes this fact, that behind that, beyond that, there is something that's absolutely true. The God who loves you has absolutely secured a place for you and he's using every single moment of that for a good agenda. Every day that you live, that agenda is, taking, is advancing another step. And this time of year, we recognize how much a step it took that God follows through in what he says. Because today, see, you're one year closer to God's agenda for your life being completed. You're one Christmas closer to him accomplishing everything he's promised you. You're one day closer to God's good final work being done in your life. Recognize it. Enter into it. Celebrate it in your heart. Tell him you want to celebrate that. And watch what happens. Watch if it doesn't bubble up a measure of joy in you. Rejoice today because the Savior's come. Pray with me.
for those of us in the room, God, who feel real sadness this time of year for whatever reason, maybe especially this year, for those of us who feel lost or hopeless in some way, for those of us who don't see how any of this is working together for any good, or for those of us who just feel deadened, cynical, would you, would you pierce through that? Would you give us, prompt us to have the capacity to look beyond that and to know what's really true behind it? That you have a, you're a good God and you have a good agenda. That when you entered the world, that agenda moved forward and it was cause for joy. And now, today, God, would you help us who especially feel that Would you kindle the joy that comes, not because our circumstances change, not because we're happier, but because we have cause for celebration in an absolute, ultimate truth. Make that true for us. God, for anybody who's in the room who doesn't yet know you personally, I pray that the first step would be today. They would come to you with their sin and lay it at the foot of the cross, that they would be embraced by you. They would put their trust in you, that they would rejoice then in the Lord today because you have done everything that's necessary to make the final agenda complete. Give us joy in you this Christmas. We pray through your son. Amen.